Welcome to Bill's Big Bag of Onions, the delightful blend of micro-fictions contributed by local writers and sumptuous music you probably haven't heard. Could it happen again this year, Dad? The youngster looked up at the magnificent, large, round-headed bird beside him. It was dawn, and they were surveying the view below a decaying canopy of horse chestnut. They had spotted some prey that morning, and had breakfasted upon Dormouse. The wise, mature parent gripped his perch, and rotated his head to gaze at the park beyond. They had been a family back then, and his beloved mate had not died of shock. That was before the fire, and the terrifying loud bangs, followed by the endless screeches, whizzes, and thunderous booms. Belief in heaven is the choice to embrace hope that our deepest longings will be fulfilled. Traditional images of heaven often don't mirror these longings. Do we really care to live on gaudy streets of gold or play the harp all day? Or float on clouds in some disembodied experience with nothing to do? We'd lose all that makes us human. Those bits about all things being made new, new bodies, new creation, offer a different image of restoration to health and a life of creativity and discovery, of not losing ourselves, but rather finally being fully known and accepted.
Dominic jangled the lead invitingly. Wookies! Spot stood and gave his fur a shake. As the shake spiralled down his body, his back legs gave way and he sat with a thump. A blast of winter air hit his nose. Spot lifted his head gamely. They had walked together for twelve years. But he couldn't go today. In his bed, Spot felt lighter, strong again, quite like his old self. I can go now! But Dominic was hunched, his shoulders racked with sobs. With the tears, Spot left behind all the love he had brought with him twelve years ago. There is no heaven, in the sense that the word is usually understood. No hell and eternal damnation, as some would have it. That is my belief. Heaven is in a look between lovers, a smile between strangers, a kindness done when none was asked for. It's in the clouds on a rainy day, or the sound of water over pebbles or a cool plunge into crystal-clear waters. Heaven is with us, and all around us, everywhere, for as long as it is ours to have, and all we have to do is to learn how to see it. Steve, I'm meeting this girl from work who's perfect for you. She plays chess, likes drum and bass, and she's nice looking. I told her my handsome flatmate might join us, and she seemed happy about it. I'll leave early when you're hitting it off. She's really into sense, so wear your best one. I'll send a text saying something's come up. 
I've added some hazelnut essence to his aftershave, so she'll go anaphylactic and he'll be a prime suspect. Then I'll be free of his dreadful music and housework phobia and of her whistling in the office all day. Anesthetic had me oozing into oblivion, but aware of the doctors in a panic. I remember the sound of the defibrillator, and then I was gone, in a dark tunnel, moving towards a bright light. I emerged, I was picked up, my umbilical cord was cut, I was cleaned up, handed to my mother. Was this a do-over? with all I'd learned from my 65 years already installed. But then I was being pulled back up the birth canal. Finally my eyes opened and I saw the doctor staring down at me. Thank God for that, he's back, he said.
Alice exhales with a whistle, which would, in another world, a world where milkmen clink bottles on donkey stone steps, be cheerful. We, her family, shuffle in plastic chairs and pretend. The whistle is not struggle. The whistle is not pain. The whistle doesn't signal anything. Outside the window, a car park, and the blue and red of a Tesco, the yellow arches of McDonald's. Beyond, a hill with trees, in which surely there is a ruffle-feathered bird, who, lifting up its sharp beak, whistles to the town, to Alice, to us, a song, only a song, nothing more. I am 16 again and back in the hospital bed where a noxious mixture of illnesses confines me for weeks without end. But today is different. Cajoled by a thoughtful nurse, a visiting ex-patient takes me for a ride in his open-top car for a spot of fresh air. Oh joy! Grey from a bleak, debilitating winter, my face is brushed by a gentle, refreshing breeze. The sun tingles my skin, pouring life-giving energy back into my broken body. Birds rejoice in the trees, catching the rhythm of the wildflowers dancing in verdant verges. I shall always love April.
She kissed him on a balcony in Maida Vale. Two weeks later, she married someone else. She watched him every Saturday playing rugby with her husband. He went travelling. Her husband drank. She climbed the corporate ladder. They separated. He came back, asked her to marry. She'd already committed to another. He married, moved abroad, but never left her. They met every few years, fell in love a little more. They thanked God for this time, regretted nothing, separated this life from their other respectful ease. He died in a plane crash in 2022. She waits patiently to meet him. Bunk beds are pine, nothing special or fancy. Once my children had outgrown them, I stored their pieces in the garage for that rainy day. Headboards with faded and torn stickers of forgotten cartoon characters, heavy side rails and numerous thin slats that seemed too fragile to support even the smallest child, but which worked as a team to create strength. The rebirthing of the bunk beds needed just one hour. Now they form elegant raised beds in which potatoes and beans will grow that will feed my grandchildren. I have made my bed again and it is beautiful. The letter on the kitchen table, I already knew, 
I looked out at the garden where my children had grown up. The memories would survive. Two days later, I was on a road trip. My own childhood homes. 1967. The cottage in Todmorden. Gone. Now a wholesaler's car park. The terraced house in Oldham. Gone. Bigger, nicer homes now. The block of flats in Manchester. Condemned. Gone. Shopping precinct. Anonymous. The masonette on Stockport's Ring Road. Gone. An amnesic junkyard for once cherished cars. The trip hadn't helped. I sat in my kitchen. The letter opened. Final decision. Eminent domain. Eviction. Demolition. The bypass. How's life on the ward, Grandad? Bloody awful. It's like a zoo. Bed one in the corner snores like a klaxon. Bed two keeps having a pee in the bin. The one opposite shouts in his sleep. What about the ones in the beds either side? He sings sea shanties and that one doesn't stop crying. As for bed six by the door, the smell... It seems quiet at the moment. Yes... Deathly quiet. Grandad, you haven't been raiding the dispensary again, have you? They'll get suspicious. No! Well, yes, maybe. Return that bottle on your way out, will you? The month of May to me means remembering many meaningful moments. But Millennium May meant more than most. Mary, Molly, Mike and me made a multitude of marvellous memories manufacturing maypoles and mounting them on greens for May Day merriments. Misfortune materialised and Millennium May was very moist, which meant messing missed out and mistly was a mess. However, 
Marks Tay, Manningtree, Malden, Margaretting, Mount Nessing and Munden mastered May with minimum mishaps. Men, women, masters and maidens making the most of May. And my missive on May, now with its myriad of M's, making the most of a thesaurus? Maybe. My bond with our German shepherd was a gift. Bismarck was always there, always anxious to just be with me. He'd take my side during wrestling matches with Dad or warn strangers who got too close. I felt invincible. I was twelve when he died. Sadly, because someone with outsized influence on me at the time thought that pets were nonsense, I felt compelled to shrug and say, eh, no big deal. But later I came home, saw his body, and wept and wept. That person's opinion has long since lost relevance. My tears, however, will always be my own. at the dog rescue home for a very long time. After our ninth meetup, it was felt safe for us to adopt you. You arrived at our home in a lovely new pink collar and have now been here for three years. You still hate being groomed, get growly at bedtime, need a muzzle and sedation at veterinary visits and bark at the neighbours. 
You love raw vegetables. Drive off the cheeky squirrels who steal the bird seed. Try to catch bees and crave your daily morning cuddle. You're one lovable, crazy bundle of border collie dog. Squaddies back from Burma, 1946, quite a knees up. Phil and Laura got married, bought the pub, then divorced. Characters coming and going, some West Indians in the 50s, the lecturers in the 1960s, the road workers when they built the ring road, the drinkers on the dole, the neo-barrow boys in the 80s, the fire, the break-in, the jukebox's end, the teenagers on Fridays, the cricket team, the silverware, cribbage, crosswords, distractions, evasion, escape, solace, stories, sorrows drowned, friendships forged, for generations, all gone. Who cares what happens in the flats that have replaced the great northern pub? That's all behind closed doors. She watched, the plumage in her hair nodding with the bird-like darting of her eyes. Her bloated face, moulded from overworked dough, appeared leaden and tinged with the grey of a cancer within. The tainted brain, as yet unreleased from the confines of earthly mean-spiritedness to a more heavenly benevolence, 
she focused on the deliverance of barbed critique and damning judgment in a court of her own making. Wig in place, she passed sentence on the assembled company of friends and family. Too fat, badly dressed, bad-mannered, gluttons, dripping terminal drops of earthly poison into the surrounding joy. He walked the ways, stout stick in hand, across clagged clumps of frozen plough, bare branches bent, yielding under snow burden, jewelled by pendants of water diamond gleaming in the cold sunlight, behind him dark footprints on iced grass. In a copse he rested, bending to lift a shy white head, alone in its pale beauty. Petals skirt-formed, and a wood-nymph from his imaginings formed, welcomed by his hooded eyes. They danced, his weary feet shuffling, head bewitched by nature's song, and the hope of spring to come. Night crept through the trees, searching, but only his stout stick remained.
It can take a while for the human spirit to find peace. This I know, as I'd clung to the gates for a long time, wanting to find my way back. Would you be all right without me? I'd heard your every thought and felt the anguish in your troubled face. I'd waited so long that the pearly coating began to rust and my back aches from the pressure of my budding wings, eager to unfold. Eventually, he came to me. He cupped my face in his wounded palms like a father. It's time to come home, dear child, he said. The earthquake caused one wall of the block to collapse, leaving the apartments torn open grotesquely, their contents raw and naked like a savaged dollhouse. Below, the beleaguered tenants, who'd all got out in time, huddling in blankets, holding each other, having lost everything, were staring up at his bed, perched precariously on the ripped edge of his top floor apartment. He was their Scrooge-like landlord who charged them exorbitant rents. The bed teetered, the crowd gasped. The mattress slipped, and suddenly the whole bed crashed all the way to the ground, showering the cheering crowd with his life savings.
Within an hour of arriving at his allotment, his barrow was full. So many runner beans still. Shiny, smooth courgettes taking shape, though with diminished vigour. Lettuces and spring onions, in their summer clothes, happy alongside the more serious beetroots. Much was closing its eyes now, to sleep gently until spring. He could smell that summer was over. A distant bonfire, earth freshly turned for autumn's new bounty, shallot and onion, garlic and cabbages, longer shadows, new beginnings, the most beautiful time, the excitement of change, the satisfaction of a summer well done. He loved this September song. You have been listening to Onions written by Clay Morrison, Phil Boast, Pat Bloss, Bill Lawrence, Ian Hornet, Adrian Cohen, Angela Kenz, Sophie Drenogle, Jenny Miller, Petra McQueen, and Claire Kemsley. The music you heard was from a 2023 album called Tree by John Metcalf. Stay tuned for the start of Series 2 of from Colchester to Sulawesi. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. Can you go Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete That keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions presents Series 2 of From Colchester to Sulawesi Written for Colm Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 1 of 6 Arrival. It can, I suppose, sometimes be the case that the significance of an event, even if the significance is known, cannot be appreciated or fully realised until after its occurrence, when the importance of what is being done cannot be seen for the doing of it. This is, after all, the first day of our new lives and our new enterprise. We have by now spent many days and weeks at the lodge separately or together, but from now on, if all goes well, this will be our tropical home for who knows how many years to come. All going well, however, is for now a moot and uncertain point, and it has become clear to us that any wellness will be unlikely to take care of itself, but will need to be manufactured by ourselves and others, 
whoever those others may, in the end, turn out to be. The day had begun at some indeterminate point, where our place in relation to the rising and setting of the sun had on our journey shifted by seven hours. Watches had been reset mid-flight, and we had touched down on Indonesian soil in the now early afternoon at Sam Ratulangi Airport, Manado. Perhaps surprisingly, Oni was at the airport to meet us, and two cars had been organised to transport ourselves, Paula's mum and sister Carol, Carol's three children, Alex, Edward and Hattie, and Janet, our by now long-time family friend, on the final leg of our journey to Bohowo Lodge. Oni was outwardly friendly, at least, but we have learned by now that when it comes to Oni, outward appearances are not to be trusted, and relations with this most important person as regards our future lives and plans could from now on go either or indeed any way. Perhaps with us here he will decide that his own best future lies with us and on our side, and perhaps our concerns are unfounded. But this, as with so many things with regard to our entirely self-imposed situation, remains to be seen. But still, the 40-minute drive saw us to Bohowo, and we drove through the gates of the lodge, and although we did so with wildly mixed feelings, there was for me an overriding sense of relief that after better than 18 months of preparation for this moment, we had at least, and at last, arrived. So, we're here then. And during the offloading of suitcases, bulging with yet more sheets and soft furnishings, which Carol and I had been frantically shopping for, I don't quite know where to look first. Last time I was here, there was a Pentecostal church very close to the lodge. And now, in its place, there's a beautiful swimming pool filled with clear, chlorinated water, which, after a long, tiring journey, looks very inviting indeed. The lodge I've seen before, of course, in its magnificent outwardly finished state, but inside a lot of the furniture is new to both of us, and my initial impression is that whilst the furnishings are adequate for the purpose, the lodge as a whole appears rather empty, and we'll have to find or have more furniture made. The bedrooms are well enough appointed, but need mirrors and pictures on the walls and comfy chairs. Still, all things considered, and particularly the fact that so much has been done in our absence, it's not at all bad, even through my jet-lagged eyes. And we at least have a fully functioning lodge, which, as a beginning, is no bad place to begin. Aris, our self-appointed driver who drove one of the cars from the airport, and Nyoman, our housekeeper, are pleased and proud to show us around and to give account of how they have looked after the first guests to stay at the lodge, who are a couple of single gentlemen, coincidentally all French, but having no connection one to the other. We now learn, however, that these have not in fact been our first guests, but rather two Hungarians, or Romanians, they are not certain which, had stayed for a few days prior to the arrival of the French people. As per the French people, they had come to us via the dive centre, and the only tangible evidence that they had been here would be a payment for the accommodation in due course. 
So we had been in business before we had known that we had been in business, which is an interesting but not entirely surprising state of affairs. And aside from Aris and Newman, Soldier, Aris's wife, had been shopping for and cooking her delicious Indonesian food. So the guests had evidently been well looked after, and all was well, it seemed. Aris and Newman, we have come to realize, have a particular and quite delicate relationship to one another. In the village, Aris has a higher status than does Newman, being son to one of the founding fathers of the village and owning a good deal of village land. Newman is younger than Aris by several years and married into the village and thus has little status outside the lodge. Within the lodge, however, Newman is housekeeper, a position that carries a higher rank than does a driver. And we are fast learning that such things carry considerably more weight here than they do in our native England, and we will have to be aware of this in our dealings with them. But still, the guests have been catered for, and the French people are spending the day diving, and we will meet them later in the day. You're still hiding in the park You look so happy when you're down, down, down Under the trees where you won't be found And you're still dancing in the dark It makes you happy when you're down, down, down No one can see you spinning round and round And your feet, they keep on moving Even when the nights are cold When you roll, will you still be dancing Oh, into the dawn of the light I haven't seen you for a while You still look happy when you're down, down, down You keep on moving to keep warm when the leaves turn brown And you're still reaching up to the sky It makes you happy when you're down, down, down I still believe that one day you will take off from the ground And your stars, they keep on burning Having got used to the idea that there are already guests staying at the lodge, which we certainly had not expected when we planned our trip with the family, the first logistical thing to be finalised is where everyone is going to sleep. The lodge has two twin and two double guest rooms and a family room which sleeps four. And after due discussion, Mummy and Janet agree to share a room. 
Alex and Ed will double up, and Carol and Hattie will also share, so everyone gets somewhere to sleep. And we get our own room to ourselves, which is good. So after a couple of cups of coffee and a good look around our new home, everyone retires to their various allocated bedrooms to unpack, shower, and take some time out to relax for the remainder of the afternoon. As with so many of our best-laid Indonesian plans, this is not turning out as we had anticipated. We had expected to ease ourselves gently into our new life and enjoy a holiday with the family before we immersed ourselves fully in our new enterprise. Clearly, however, this is not to be. The lodge is already functioning as a guest house, and Phil and I have certain responsibilities which have to be seen to immediately. So, in our new role as host and hostess, we are duly scrubbed up and waiting when our first guests, or the first guests that we've been made aware of, arrive home in the late afternoon. Introductions are made, and we welcome them to the lodge based on the philosophy that it's better to do this late than never, and we spend some time chatting with them before they retire to desalinate from their diving and prepare themselves for the evening meal. Sulcha arrives to prepare supper, and at around seven o'clock, all are assembled around our large dining table with Phil and I at its respective heads, and we enjoy our first meal and easy conversation with the family and guests before retiring for the night. We are all tired, our guests from their diving and we from our journey, and we are quite early to bed on this, our first night at the lodge. There's been no time for leisure activities such as swimming today, but from now on, all being well, there will always be tomorrow, and this is a good thought to go to bed with. So, first impressions then, and I have to say that it's mostly shock, really. Bedding the family in, talking at length to the staff, who have been our staff even before we knew that they were our staff meeting and catering for our first guests, and all with jet lag. So it all takes a bit of sorting out, and I'm sure it will be less shocking after a night's sleep, in the clear light of the new and first morning at Bahowo Lodge, our new home. The day, however, is not quite finished yet. And so we lay our heads down together at the end of this day. It's my birthday and Paula gives me my final and by far my best birthday present, which I confess I had been rather hoping for, but a gentleman must never assume. We drift at last into sleep, and my final thoughts are that whatever happens from here on, however things play out between the forces which are for and against us, we are here now, and can take better control of things than we have hitherto been able to do from better than 7,000 miles away. It may be that the importance of events cannot always be seen clearly at the time of their occurrence, and of many things only time and experience will tell, but one thing is for sure, that this has in our small lives been a big day, and one which we will not forget. Beside me, don't go. Don't you go? Find out what happens when we return to the adventures of Phil and Paula in Sulawesi in next week's episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions here on Cone Radio. 
production for Cone Radio. Yeah!